My name's Chris Jackson. I'm a reliability engineer, and I help uh, Fred out with some of his, his Ascendo stuff. Uh, also, uh, primarily help a lot of companies trying to solve problems that include not just uh, reliability engineering, but uh, specifically reliability allocation, which is what I'll be talking about today. Um, and re reliability allocation is uh, is one of the more I suppose, uh, crucial parts of, of some reliability programs, but it can to an extent be overdone. And so today I'm going to be talking about three ways of allocating reliability. And we'll go into what reliability allocation means shortly. But I'll focus on three ways, but not before I contextualize and talk about the steps that reliability allocation must be embedded within. So let's just say we start with a... Um, we start with a product or a medical device in, in this example. Um, uh, more, but more correctly, we uh, haven't got this device designed yet. We actually ha only have a concept of vision or a need for such a device. And in, at best, we can say this is what our device looks like in our heads. And let's just say that we have some concept about, about what the reliability of this device should be. Uh, that's all well and good. And that might, be, uh, that, that might give us a sense of accomplishment um, with it without, without having to do anything else. But the problem then comes when we realize that this device is actually made up of a number of different parts and components. And so if we line them all up, we'll see that this one over here is going to be provided by a third-party vendor. This one here is brand new technology. This one here is the same component as the last model. And this one here is based, is going to be designed by an independent design team. So having a system reliability goal is of itself not entirely useful when you have all these different teams and components um, being built and designed in potentially different countries. So what are the reliability goals for each one of these components? Let's just say that, our, uh, for example, that the, the reliability goal for our product is 95%. And let's just say that we, all, after that, we then simply allocate that same reliability goal to each one of these nine components. Well, if you do the do the modeling, you realize that the system reliability turns out to be 63%. So you can't simply allocate a system level goal to subsystems or components. You will be sadly disappointed. Um, and the process of working out what each one of these goals should be is reliability allocation. Now, reliability allocation more formally is assigning of numerical reliability goals to subsystems and components in support of system performance characteristics. Now, this most importantly allows your smaller design teams to independently work on key, uh, key elements of the overall product or system. You typically have electrical engineers working in their particular area to, to uh, design and build the electrical part of your product. You have mechanical engineers doing something else. You have hydraulic engineers doing something else. You'll have chemical engineers design, designing reagents and things like that. So we just have to acknowledge that this is the reality. These teams will be working quasi independently and they need their own goals. And it also helps us uh, allocate money to meet these reliability goals. Each component will have its own unique challenges. Some components will, will uh, find it easier to uh, have higher reliability performance levels than others. So as a design team lead, reliability allocation helps you understand where you need to throw your limited money. It also informs the overall process as it relates to reliability. We're going to talk very soon about how, how designing for reliability or the reliability cycle is iterative. This is just the first step, having an, an initial estimate. And it also allows trade-offs um, uh, from uh, uh, and other design elements uh, to be investigated in a very feasible way. What does weight look like? Are you going to choose between a battery which is rechargeable, which needs its own charger, and that might be more reliable? Or do you need to have, or is it, is it uh, does a device um, need to have, because of space requirements, uh, disposable batteries, which can be less reliable? Well, if you don't allocate reliability and closely manage reliability, um, uh, th then you will essentially be guessing uh, which trade-off you need to you need to look at. So, I know we've only just started talking about it, but I'll open it I'll open up the, the floor to 
any questions so far. I haven't seen too much in the chat windows about what reliability allocation um, means to you. But if there's any, if any people have their own thoughts on what reliability allocation means beyond what I've just said, I would be glad to hear them now. So I'll just take a couple of seconds to listen to any, any feedback, any input to that question. See some typing action. Not a lot, or maybe it was a ghost typer. Well, it looks like we don't have too many questions coming in so far. So that means to me, or I'll assume that uh, my description of what reliability allocation is and what it should do is is uh, satisfies what you think or what your preconceived ideas of what reliability allocation was. So let's move on to our design process, this beautiful little diagram where we go from concept on the left through to disposal on the right. But we as engineers, we all know that this, this diagram is way too pretty. It's, ne it's never like this. So let's, let's be a little bit more re realistic. Our design process is a bit more back of the uh, beer coaster. Little, it has a little bit of, uh, well, we do adhere to over, overarching and high level phases. It can be quite a, a a tailored, quite a custom, quite an ad hoc process in some in some cases. Now, if we look at uh, the design part of our design process, in practice, we actually have quite a few goes at getting a design ready to go before we think about building it. And even then, we'll have quite a few prototypes which may or may not hit the mark. So we need to go back to our design phase to, or go back to redesigning the, the product or system. Uh, to improve the overall reliability, and these two different elements are called what we call uh, are what we call analytical and prototypical design phases. And at all stages, we are verifying as well. But it obviously gets a lot more complicated than this. And we have all these different elements which are about to just come up right now um, influence our design uh, process. And we're not going to go into each one of these uh, now. But suffice to say, our design process, our design uh, sequence. It involves several inputs, it involves several criteria, things like prototyping need to be considered. We need to understand constraints and criteria as they relate to the business plan and uh, perhaps most importantly at the start of our design phase, we need to have a design plan. <clears throat> but let's not forget, we need to have manufacturing considered as well. So we need to design for manufacturability, we need to think about tooling as well so on and so forth. So does the design process is not nearly uh, as, uh, as clinical and neat as some, textbook, some textbooks would like us to think. So if we look at the design and build phase in greater detail, they're not really that sequential. There's this, this uh, cycle, which we can see on the screen now, uh, that typically define, or you typically see in most good reliability design, uh, design processes and as, as um, overseen by good team leaders. We start with allocating uh, reliability goals. We then do smart design. We update our system model. Uh, we then focus on the vital few. Uh, we'll likely only have a couple of failure mechanisms that matter way more than others. And so we, we want, not only do we want to learn what these are, we want to learn what the trivial thousands are as well. So we don't worry about them to the same extent. We then simulate, analyze and test until failure. We re-estimate system reliability, work out if we're finished. Um, almost certainly won't be finished after our first design iteration. And after we realize we need to do more, well, then we need to do something about it. If we haven't met our reliability goals, we go back to the start of our system with a new approach or an updated approach with additional resources, so on and so forth. And instead of looking at this as a very simple cycle, um, this is actually how we grow reliability. We work out what the weak points of our system are and uh, do something about it. And as each time we go through this cycle, reliability continues to grow. And I do want to say one thing about simulating, analyzing, and testing until failure. We are not talk just talking about testing. We are talking about things like analysis, uh, things like finite element, element modeling, so on and so forth. But if you do test, you should be focusing on those vital few failure mechanisms that matter. And you should know this. Uh, from from your, uh, your modeling your system reliability at all stages. Why I emphasize this is because we need to include an analysis, non-testing non analysis into reliability allocation in a way we'll talk about very shortly. So I'll open the floor again to any questions. Are, are there any questions about this relatively simplistic but hopefully somewhat universal general 
approach to designing reliable products. Can't see too much typing activity, so I'll assume again. Hopefully, that uh, what I've described so far is uh, is, is resonating with uh, with all of you. Okay, so let's go back to our little uh, reliability design cycle. Put it back in our overall process and start talking about reliability allocation. Well, I'm going to talk about six steps. The first step for reliability allocation is identifying customer requirements. The second step is establishing system reliability goals, which are different in many cases to the customer requirements. The third step is incorporate a reliability design margin. The fourth step is what we call establishing a preliminary functional series design. The fifth step is allocating reliability. And the sixth step is leading and doing something with all the information we gather along, uh, along the way. So let's start with an example. Step one, customer requirements. We go through the full and thoughtful, thoughtful process of specifying customer reliability requirements. So in this case, let's just say this medical device needs to have a reliability of no less than 95% after a three year service life when used in accordance with specified use cases. And you can see we have four parts of our reliability definition here. Now this is completely made up. It's not based on any device I'm aware of. But uh, let's just say that our, our marketing team, our, uh, our, uh, our technical experts, our, our leadership in our organization has perhaps correctly identified that this is what customers are expecting. So this becomes our customer requirement. And so if we say this is what, so let's just say on this graph, this is what we believe the customer wants. But this doesn't mean that our product can be afford product can afford to be this unreliable. There's a reason for this, because in some cases we need to do things like reliability demonstration testing, where we actually need to design something which is more reliable than the requirement to have a reasonable chance of passing, and uh, we incorporate this little band of additional reliability you can see here over, the, over on the left based on what we call a discrimination ratio, which is a subject of another uh, demonstration testing conversation. There's also, uh, we also need to take into consideration that our device will not be used in uh, laboratory conditions. Our users are gonna find new and different novel ways of using our device. So there's typically is always a decrease in apparent reliability when our product, which has only ever existed in a clean lab, gets used by the user for the first time. And so we need to accommodate that. So the next thing we might do is increase our system reliability goal uh, to exceed our customer requirement to accommodate testing and use actual use cases. But we still have nothing to play with. And what do I mean by that? If we look at our system reliability goal over here, that's what we have to achieve. But we, need, we might want a little bit more reliability, you can see in this little um, in this little um, band on the left here, so that our reliability team lead has something to play with when they're going through the uh, when they're on the journey of designing for reliability. So we call this reliability design margin. In this case, let's just say it's a third of of the unreliability we have left in our specification. Now I'm using some example uh, fractions, exam example ratios. You just need to work, uh, you need to choose what works for you. And if your system is uh, very developmental, you might want to have more margin than I have here. But it, or if your system is well understood, if it's just simply an update to existing technology, then you might not need quite as much margin because you're very confident of how the system will perform. So our reliability requirement now includes reliability design margin. So what we started off with 95%, we went to a system reliability goal of 96.7%, and we went up to our final requirement, which includes design margin of 97.8%. And these, I must confess, are strictly uh, example figures that I'm not advocating for, for certain fractions or requirements. It's up to you to research what, it, what make, uh, makes sense for you. And we always need to understand that when we're designing something, regardless of how mature we think it is, there's always inherent uncertainty, which is why we need to have these buffers. Okay, so here's our system with all these different parts. We then typically create what we call a basic functional series system. And here's a basic fault tree, which uh, 
shows the nine components of our system uh, arranged in a series uh, series model. That is, if any one of these uh, elements fails, the entire system fails. And there's a reason why we do this. We don't want to unnecessarily impose redundancy just yet. So we create our create our preliminary functional series design, which is uh, a reasonable first assumption when you're when you're thinking about designing uh, sorry uh, allocating reliability. The next step is to allocate. Step five, allocating reliability, and we use this equation here. So starting on the left-hand side, this is our allocated design goal for the ith component module or subsystem. Over here are what we call our allocation factors. And I'll talk about what these allocation factors are very shortly. Here is our system design goal, which in this case was 97.8%. So when we want to work out what the allocated goal for each component or subsystem is, we, we use our allocation factors, put it into this equation, which includes our reliability design goal for the system, and we get an answer. And we'll go through an example very shortly because I want to emphasize that this is simply the first effort of a bigger design process. So here is our, uh, our, our cycle we talked about earlier where we're growing reliability over here. We use these goals to work out if our system is not on track. So if we have allocated all these goals, all these, all these different um, performance levels to our teams and subsystems, we can then work out as we continually analyze our system if something isn't on track. And if something is not on track, we, uh, we can then do something about it. So the main point of our next step is always deciding to do something. Now, there are a few options that you can, you can pursue when you're deciding to do something if one of your components is not meeting a an allocated reliability goal. The first thing is you can reallocate reliability from a component subsystem or module that is doing well. So if you have one team which is really struggling to meet its allocated reliability goal, but another team is doing very, very well exceeding expectations, then you can simply, uh, or in a way, take some of the allocated reliability from one and give it to the other. Well, well. and if you do this in a controlled way, your team leader will, will always be certain that you're on track to meet system uh, reliability performance. The design team lead can also decide to allocate reliability from the design margin. Why don't you? Why do you include design margin? Why don't you just uh, give them as easier goals to to aspire to from the start? Well, one of the reasons you might do this to keep that design margin up your sleeve is to make sure people are striving to explore the upper reaches of feasible reliability. If you have lower goals and and, and uh, teams aren't trying quite as hard, then when you struggles. Uh, all the other teams haven't uh, already in, uh, invested or designed reliability into their respective components to allow you to use their reliability in a, in a tailored way. Another thing you can do is invest more time and money into your str struggling component subsystem or module. Uh, one option I've also seen is where we outsource that component subsystem or module to an expert supplier, a third party that knows what they're talking about or, or, or knows that particular technology very, very well. Um, and there's also the, the other thing you can do if you're not going to do that is include redundancy. So the reason why we start with a series system typically and then go through the process of allocating our reliability before we worry about redundancy is we don't want to take flexibility away from the design team. We want to only incorporate redundancy if that's the most cost effective way of meeting our reliability goals. And if you can't do any of these, then you need to go back to the business case um, or, or, the, or the business team within your organization and let them know that, um, that the requirement that we, have thought, we thought we could achieve is simply not feasible. And this might sound like admitting defeat, but actually if you have genuinely realized you can't meet reliability goals through a very, uh, very structured approach like this, then understanding the limitations of your product or system and having it influence your business plan from the start is immensely useful. It's better, better knowing this now than halfway through a warranty period. So I'll jump to questions so far. I can see that having flicked back and see there's a bit of bit of commentary going on over here. I see I've seen Michael talking about um, uh, Six Sigma. Um, and Six Sigma, and, he, and I'm understanding Michael, you're talking primarily about manufacturing constraints and things like that. 
one of I'm not not entirely sure of the background, and I uh, and I must must confess that reliability allocation tends to stay within the design space in most organisations, but there's no reason it has to. Um, a lot a lot of the developmental technologies and developmental products. Uh, your designers and manufacturers work hand in hand because they're having to uh, develop new technologies. But uh, Six Sigma is, is certainly one one way that you can minimise variability, which means that you don't necessarily need to have quite as much design margin. Um, and Hojad, I see that you asked about considering confidence levels during this process. Is there a way that confidence levels can be allocated? Well, one way, um, and I see uh, Fred talking about uh, a, a the, the goal with respect to populations. Uh, but Hojak, you might recall we included a, a, a margin, uh, not a margin, but we included a, a difference between our customer requirement and system reliability goal to accommodate the uncertainty in demonstration testing. For example, I talked about discrimination ratios. Typically, we would have a certain confidence level and to be able to meet our, um, our to be able to pass our tests, we often need to have a reliability performance level that exceeds the goal for that very reason to incorporate confidence, uh, the required confidence. So that's an entirely entirely separate conversation as well. But there, we do incorporate uncertainties in every step of the way. In, in a very formal way, we do that with our system reliability goal when it's based on demonstration test planning. Uh, John, do you have any guidance rules or thumb in de determining, determining the reliability target margins? Um, I can see that Fred has said that's uh, that's a subject of another another webinar, and I would I would uh, agree with Fred in that case as well. Um, as a you, you, but typically we want to have bigger margins for more developmental systems. I have seen uh, some design teams have a fifty percent design margin, um, a reliability design margin, and that was even that was. That was for a relatively robust device as well. So these design margins can be quite high. Um, it really depends on the circumstance, depends on the maturity of the technology, so on and so forth. So some really good questions there. Um, now I, I can see that people are really understanding some of the things we're talking about, which is inspiring this really good dialogue. So those are fantastic questions, and I'd ask them to be to keep coming. Uh, we'll, we'll pause throughout the webinar to to come back and, and, and answer any ones that I miss. That pop up during my uh, during my my conversation. Okay, so let's go back and talk about what those allocation factors are. We might remember step five. We had that equation which had allocation factors, which we plugged into that horrific equation to spit out subsystem module component reliability goals. So let's go back to our our product or device. We know that it has. This particular goal over here, in this case, 97.8%, because it includes a reliable system reliability goal that takes into consideration uncertainty and design margin. We have nine components, and if we put them all over here, you'll recall that some are have uh, going to be provided by a third-party vendor. Some represent new technologies. Some are the same component as last model, and some are designed by independent design teams. And we need to work out what these reliability goals are. This is the problem. So. What we can do, for example, is look at, let's say, the most complex component, the one which has the most intricate design characteristics. Uh, and let's just say that uh, we're going to give this component an allocation factor of 10. 10 is the highest allocation factor we can give in this particular scale. And then what we do is for all other components, we compare them in complexity to our most complex component and give them allocation factors. And you can see here that, uh, for example, an allocation factor of eight means that we think this component is 80% as complex as our most complex component. So we plug these into our equation we talked about earlier. There's our system reliability design goal. Here's the allocation factor for a particular subsystem. The sum of all allocation factors goes up here, which in, in the example we just looked at is 49. And this will be our design goal for that particular subsystem and components. So here we go. We plug in 49 there. We plug in our reliability goal of 97.8%. Divide it by 10, because we're in this case, we're looking for the goal of our most complex component. And here is our, our reliability design goal um, of 99.55%. Uh, now let's look at the least complex component, which has an allocation factor of three. 
we plug three into the equation and, and the goal turns out to be 99.86%. And so if we compare the two, we can see that uh, the, the most complex component has the harder, so it has the easier reliability goal to achieve. 99.55 is less than 99.86. And just be aware that you need to be comfortable with high subsystem and component reliability goals. I uh, see that also a question has come Creostomo uh, about how repairable systems approach can help allocation. One approach is to, is to look at uh, hazard rates and, and, and as, as, as opposed to allocating uh, reliability, um, uh, reliability goals, you allocate hazard rate uh, goals as well. Uh, that's outside the scope of this, this webinar, but it's a really, really good question. And perhaps in hindsight, I could have added a couple of equations at the end which show how you convert um, reliability to hazard rate if you're concerned about uh, repairable systems, particularly if, you, uh, if you're in the, in the space of uh, plant asset and plant management. <coughs> um, but it's, it's a, that's a very good question, Kriostamo. So after this, we have uh, gone through all our allocations. We've given, them allo uh, given our components allocation factors. And when we plug those allocation factors into our equation, we see that our most complex subsystems have the easier reliability goals to achieve. Now, I'll throw the floor open to any questions uh, on allocation factors, what they mean in practice, and understanding that we're about to go into a more detailed uh, review or detailed conversation about how we get these allocation factors. I also see a question from Pascal. Could you link the complexity of a subsystem to a could you link parts count for each subsystem factor? In some cases, you can, Pascal, um, especially for electrical uh, componentry. There's a there's an approach which is called the agree approach. We're going to cover that in the, in, in a uh, in a in a very short uh, period of time, which uh, is based on uh, essentially. Uh, a group of experts who are primarily involved in radios and electronic componentry, and they simply uh, looked at not necessarily the number of components, but the number of modules within each PCB. Okay, so moving on to the next question. So what are the three ways I could have to do some reliability allocation we're going to talk about today? Well, number one is based on complexity. And we've actually just come in with that approach where we, we allocated uh, it gave an allocation factor of 10 to the most complex subsystem or component and then scaled every other component in a relative way. Number two is based on complexity and risk. And I see a question from John uh, where he presumes the magnitude of the allocation factor is really arbitrary. The intent is to get the uh, sum of them all and the ratio and uh, with respect to the allocation factor for a particular component. I get that ratio right, and John, you are 100% correct. And maybe my next example will uh, will show you how we can do that. So, for example, uh, num approach number two, where we base it on complexity and risk. Let's just say we've gone through a process of allocating complexity-based allocation factors to each subsystem and component, but we go back to our FAMIA, and this particular component here has a very severe consequence. In medical devices, for example, you typically will have one component whose failure is quite bad, um, one where you might involve overdose or somehow mistreating the patient. So failure of this component has a very severe consequence, much more severe than others. And what we can do, for example, is introduce a consequence factor. And in this case, for example, let's just say the most uh, components with the most severe uh, outcome will give a, a consequence factor of two. And those with the least severe will give a consequence factor of one. And in this case, we can simply multiply our complexity factors by these consequence factors to get these numbers here. So we've essentially doubled the allocation factor for this really critical component, and it's now 16. And this spring over here has a severity factor of 1.5, so it's new allocation factor of six. So in this way, we can incorporate uh, both risk and complexity. And uh, John, you can, as you can see here, it doesn't matter how high we go. It is entirely arbitrary because we're, we uh, simply find the ratio of one allocation factor with respect to the sum of all allocation factors. And here's, so this is just one example of including complexity and risk. And the third approach 
is any way you want. Now, this is a bit of a cop-out, I know, but the point I'm trying to make here is that you must always remember that your first allocated goals are guides and guides only because what's more important is this sequence over here, this, this uh, cycle over here. Using those goals to understand what the state of your system is during the design process and constantly reallocating our, our reliability, reliability, constantly doing something about it. Uh, I'd be amazed if in a robust design process, allocated reliability goals stayed the same. So what can this look like? You can create your own combination of allocation factors based on any factor that matters to your system. Importance, complexity, risk, state of the art, technical readiness level, usage, and so on. And another approach is to use historical estimates of reliability for each component or subsystem. And this is what we call the uh, Aeronautical Radio Incorporated or ARINC approach. Another example is a simply equal allocation and in apportionment, in which is typically never good. But as I was speaking with Fred yesterday about, if you do this, you can, you can at least spur conversation. If everyone gets the same reliability goal, you quickly realize which teams are going to struggle and which teams are not going to, so which teams will easily exceed the, the goal. And uh, you should inspire communication, but before long, you won't have uh, a need for, for uh, equal apportionment. Another approach is uh, what we call simple expert judgment, but this is really problematic because no matter what these experts come up with, you need to sort of modulate these reliability design goals to make sure the system reliability goal is met. So you may as well just go straight to allocation factors. Um, here is another approach. I think John, you were uh, not John. Someone was talking about. Uh, sorry, Pascal was talking about uh, the, the the complexity of a subsystem being analogous to the number of components. Uh, this this approach here is um, based on uh, the agree the advisory group and reliability of electronic equipment uh, organization who uh, use that particular approach for these allocation factors. But their equation also inc includes this weighting factor which means that if your system or, or product will has a certain probability of failure if, if a particular component fails, then you can incorporate it here to influence your reliability design goals. Of course, if you have a simple series system, the weighting factor will always be one. And so this collapses back to the equation we covered earlier. <coughs> and so uh, the, the final approach is a very sophisticated one where instead of having uh, just basic equations, we introduce this variable over here. Um, this is the reliability improvement for the ith system if we have a particular design initiative. Um, the idea is that we want to put a notional cost to this design improvement and then work out the total cost of, uh, of reliability improvement for the entire system and then optimize this cost uh, uh, with respect to reliability. This is a very sophisticated way of doing things and in my experience it requires a lot of information, more information than most uh, organizations have, particularly if you're creating a developmental system. But if you've got a lot of COTS elements, if you know the prices of different uh, componentry and if you have confidence in the reliability estimates of each one, this can be a very useful way of optimizing cost with respect to reliability. But I must stress, you have to have a really, really high degree of certainty in your design process and quite often we don't. So, step uh, approach number three, any way you want. Here are some basic approaches for allocating reliability because the main point is the system, not the goals. Any questions so far? Cristiano uh, asks, can we allocate reliability growth goals and many steps of development based on difficult on difficulty to demonstrate? I think reliability growth, it's almost its own uh, separate uh, topic and typically reliability growth, at least in my experience, focuses on system level reliability growth testing. If you're talking about um, that formal formal approach, um, sometimes you you might want to have interim reliability goals for you, for your system so that after you know after preliminary design, your estimated reliability is. Uh, is 5% below what your final reliability needs to be to introduce some sort of glide path. And that's okay. Uh, the main point of what we're trying to do here is, is give your design team leader an understanding of where the reliability of the system is at all stages of design, give design teams uh, goals to strive for, and essentially 
everyone knows where they need to be and everyone knows when they are not where they need to be so you can do something about it. So a question you guys might be asking is how far down should I allocate? Should I allocate to PCB levels, assembly levels or single suppliers? Well, if we go back to our, uh, our example here where we had our, our nine components and we've created a functional series system, you really should allocate as far down as makes sense. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean uh, what makes sense from a human accountability perspective. So you don't want to have multiple teams uh, working towards a single uh, allocated goal. You want to have them allocated to different teams. This is why allocation is really, really useful. You, you, don't, want to you don't want to have them spread across different disciplines. Um, you don't necessarily want to have them so far down that uh, one single person has 10 reliability goals they need to they need to accommodate. Give them one goal and if they want to allocate themselves internally, uh, let them do that. So again, are there any more questions? I see from uh, Kim. Uh, oh, that's a question you want for the end of the talk. I'll, I'll respect that request. Uh, Keegan, is 5% below goal typical for interim goals or some other common rule of thumb uh, are used? I have often seen that uh, interim goals involving doubling the unreliability. So for example, if you want to have an end state of 95% reliability, so perhaps the interim goal is 90% reliability where you double the unreliability from 5 to 10%. But again, I think that's 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 the subject of another webinar too. And the main focus here is to again to make sure your design team lead knows if you're on track, um, and give those aspirational goals to, goals to your design team lead. Alejandro, if you know your loads, you have a feeling about your damage mechanisms, and it is linked with the real world. Do you use it? Absolutely. You might recall that one key step of our uh, our our um, our cycle was system reliability reliability modeling so you can work out which other vital few and so on and so forth and very importantly for this this conversation we want our system reliability model to include all this information so we have ongoing and accurate estimates of reliability at each stage of, de of design and development uh, Pascal do you use RBDs to calculate the allocation up or down absolutely if RBDs work for you you can use RBDs instead of fault trees um, your, one of your design teams, for example, might work out that the best way to meet their reliability goal is to include redundancy. And so then that team then informs the design team lead who updates the system reliability model. And you because you have this process, because the design team lead gives a goal in the first place and the, the, the individual design team, uh, subordinate design team provides that feedback, you have really good lines of communication, which is perhaps one of the most important characteristics of reliability allocation. So how much effort do I invest in getting the first allocations right? Well, that's a very broad question and I'm going to answer it in perhaps in a, a, a cunning and uh, devious way. The reality is, is you want your efforts for uh, reliability allocation to be dwarfed by other more important steps uh, of creating a reliable system which primarily involves doing something you can't allocating reliability doesn't improve reliability testing doesn't improve reliability improving the, the design of your system improves reliability so we just need to be comfortable with uh, the fact that our first goals are simply guides which will be which should be routinely updated as we learn more about our system through the design process the worst thing that can happen is that you spend so much time trying to validate, verify initial reliability goals that you spend all your effort on allocating reliability instead of remembering that it should be a guide. So don't obsess over verifying and validating it endlessly. There's always uncertainty involved. So make your peace with that. These, these initial allocated goals are simply guides because, guides because of that uncertainty. And your organization typically only has a certain reliability engineering capacity. If you ask your team to spend days, weeks, or however long it takes to do a full, very, a full physics of failure, very rigorous uh, activity, which involves what you think is very high, uh, what you think are very accurate uh, allocated goals, 
from the start, they may not they may not want to come back to you ever again. They might have uh, they might think that that is all they need to do, especially if you made them put in a lot of effort. Understand your organization has a finite capacity to do reliability stuff, so don't waste it. And you can, one of the best ways of um, not wasting it is remembering that your first allocated goals are simply guides, which you then update and improve and optimize as you go through the design process. And one of the things we're trying to avoid with reliability allocation is over-engineering. So we go back to our disposable battery example. Reliability allocation can help us work out if we are going to use a disposable battery versus a rechargeable battery. Disposable batteries in some cases are less reliable, but rechargeable battery uh, involves more components and a separate charger. How, do you, how can you know if you can go use one versus the other? Well, you might be able to go to a, a rechargeable battery or you might have to go to a rechargeable battery if you know that the rest of your product is struggling to meet the reliability goals. If that's the case, the decision's been made for you. So, but if you if you if your if the rest of your your product is uh, is really comfortable meeting their allocated goals, then you might have scope to use disposable batteries. Fewer components don't need to have a charger because the rest of your device is very very reliable. Then you can use a disposable battery. Again, you won't know unless you start with the reliability goal for each component or subsystem and then continually update that through the design process. And with that, I'll open the floor to any final questions. Uh, I see Pascal, our ink versus agree, is one more effective than the other in your experience? I, um, I, tend to use, uh, I tend to prefer, firstly, I prefer to use allocation factors based on, uh, based on a combination of factors that make sense to your organization, including complexity, risk, so on and so forth. The, uh, just as a refresher, ARINC essentially replaces allocation factors with historical point estimates of reliability for each component. And the AGREE approach involves a weighting factor where you take into consideration how one, a failure of, one, of a component might not uh, guarantee system or product failure. Uh, typically, when you're starting, starting with a series system, uh, the weighting factor is always one. So I tend to prefer uh, have, uh, I tend to prefer uh, our ink and simple allocation factor approaches because your reliability system model, sorry, system reliability model should subsume all those weighting factors. Pascal asked, is it possible to allocate availability too? Absolutely, Pascal. Um, you can, uh, one of the good things about availability is, is you have more than one, one trigger to pull. You can improve availability by uh, focusing on reliability or focusing on maintainability. So if you allocate availability when that's the thing that matters most to your organization, you're ensuring there's a lot of flexibility to your design teams. And if you if you strict to availability goals, you give your design teams the flexibility to consider maintainability as well, which can often be uh, a really easy way of improving availability. <clears throat> I can see there's another couple of questions coming. And sorry, just going back to availability, um, the approach, the equations that we use for reliability are completely analogous to availability as well. So instead of having your reliability design goals, swap that out for availability and uh, the equations will be the same. see two questions coming, at least the technology says. Uh, Pascal asks, if your system comprises, comprises both repairables and consumables, how do you allocate availability? Well, with, with repairables, uh, obviously you're talking about a, a system or subsystem, sorry, that can be repaired. You don't throw it away. You go in and do something to it to bring it back to an operational state. With consumables, you don't repair it, but you do tend to have to replace them. Um, so both repairables and consumables have similar uh, approaches in terms of downtime. Uh, as opposed to repairing a consumable, you just simply swap it. Uh, so that, 
that still means you can have an availability estimate for that consumable component or subsystem. So it shouldn't change how you allocate availability. If you have a design team who, who's focusing on a repairable subsystem, you can give them an availability goal. If you have a design team focusing on a consumable subsystem, they can still have an availability goal because it will still take a certain amount of time to replace that component. So there should be no modification required. Uh, David uh, asked if it is, it is assumed that every item that gets an allocation can be independently tested. Absolutely not assumed. Um, that's a very good question though, uh, because there is a, a tendency for us to uh, really think about, uh, really focus on on, uh, on testing in terms of uh, having that, that very, very sure sense of are we on track or not. So what I, uh, one example I would use, David, is, is if we're using a product which is using a battery which was used in the previous, uh, previous model, uh, we have good data about what that battery can do, we have good data about the failure mechanisms of that battery, we might not need to test that, uh, that battery to understand its reliability characteristics. So that means we can still use the field data from the previous model, input, put it into our system reliability model, and work out if we're on track uh, for the next generation of device or product where the rest of the components are being designed from scratch. Um, so it, so I, I, really, I really like that question, David, because it, it, really, um, it really touches on a key point I'd like to emphasize. You only, test, you only should be focusing on testing the vital few, the, the components that are going to fail more often than most. Uh, if, you can, if you have good confidence and reliability through analysis, that's okay as well. And sometimes you have uh, things like housing and plastic components, which, are, which you know from experience will be very, very reliable. Uh, Alessio, is it possible to use HALT tests for allocation? That too is a very good question. Now, HALT tests are, uh, are not quantitative. They, they help us understand uh, the prioritized list of dominant failure mechanisms, which is as useful a piece, a set of information as you can possibly have for a designer. Uh, so the limitation of HALT um, is that you can't then use that to estimate reliability for your system or components. Uh, but uh, to, to be clear, HALT is one of my favorite DFR activities because the information you get from it is, uh, is, is very, 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 very useful. But what you can do with, uh, with your HALT outcomes or your HALT tests is identify that uh, identify those vital few we talked about, and then that's where you focus on your testing thereafter. Hopefully that answers your question, Alessio, and it's a really good one. Uh, Peter asked, how can the time dependence of reliability be factored? Different subsystems have different time dependencies, failure rate, so on. Okay, so that's an interesting question, Peter. I think you're talking about how things wear in, uh, wear out, potentially have constant hazard rates. And I think that needs to come back to, if I understand the question correctly, that needs to come back to your uh, understanding what your customer wants. So for example, if you're designing a, a product which is going to be used in a hospital, you might know that the, that the industry expects that, that medical device to work for seven years. That's just, that's just how often uh, you understand uh, the, uh, the technological generational refresh of, of a hospital, um, how frequently those, those refreshes occur every seven years. So that might be your service life. And you might have a service life reliability goal. You might have a separate warranty period of say, let's just say, say three years. So from your business side of the house, you'll have uh, a warranty reliability goal for your, for your team. Um, you might also want to impose a further reliability goal for those uh, infant mortality or dead on arrival failure rate, uh, sorry, failures because they cost a lot more in terms of brand damage. So you might want to have a, a third reliability goal that makes sure we get, we get on top of our manufacturing processes. So for each one of these different goals, you should have, uh, you should be requiring your design teams to model reliability for that entire period, which includes wherein constant hazard rates wear out. We, and we should know these pretty well if we always focus on the vital few. So hopefully that answers your question in that our reliability is the our goal is a reliability at the end of a certain period of, of interest, warranty period, service life, life or something different. Um, 
Christiamo, we allocate at a level we can demonstrate during the development. I think that's a statement. Um, sometimes that's true, and I, especially for our, our, our very vital uh, or, or, or high severity components. Uh, but there are, I've seen certain cases where, uh, again, if, we, if we're using, if we're recycling components or if, or if it's a well understood technology or a failure is not, not a huge issue, uh, where analysis can work. And again, that's up to the, the judgment of the design team lead. But uh, I think that's a good point you, you raise, uh, Chris Ostomo. Sorry, I think I'm mispronouncing your name. Um, a good rule of thumb in terms of how far down we allocate is uh, what part of our subsystem will, will we independently test. Arun asked, do you use any software packages to perform allocation? There, is, uh, some, there are some software packages out there. But for me, I think the actual math is so simple, touch wood, that uh, an Excel spreadsheet would, would suffice. And that's typically how I've done it, done it in the past. Alessio asked, what is your opinion in using uh, some reliability standards such as Siemens Telecordia to get a first insight into which components look the more critical? My general question, uh, sorry, general answer is use whatever information source you have at hand, uh, including those standards, um, to, to try and understand what your likely dominant failure mechanisms should be. But they should be your fleeting first step because as soon as you identify what the standards say should be your, your areas of concern, you then need to investigate further. So you'll very quickly confirm if those are, uh, or you should very quickly confirm if they're relevant for your uh, subsystem. Let's see another question coming in. I might scroll back up to the question that was requested to be delayed till the end by Kim, where Kim asked uh, I, if we're able to make the, the slides available for download uh, or contact you later. We'll I'll certainly uh, talk to you, uh, Kim, after this. So I know Fred records this, um, records this uh, webinar. So if you do want to go through at any stage and have a look at some of the imagery, uh, you should have access to that as well. But if you want to, I can reach out after this and we can talk further about what it is you might need. Um, any more questions? Uh, circling back to Holt from, from another Chris. That's a very, very solid name. Couldn't you allocate a higher reliability goals goal to components that fail at higher stresses versus lower goals for components that fail at lower stresses? So I think you're talking about... Um, using Holt to work out which components you think will be the ones which will be more likely to fail. And I certainly agree with what you're getting at, Chris. That's a, that's a very valid point. And I'll, I'll, I'll say it back to you to, to make sure I understand your intent. You can correct me if I'm wrong. If you work out if one component fails at a higher stress, then you'd reasonably suspect it's more reliable than another component which fails at, at a lower stress. So you, using the ARINC approach, you could have a rough uh, you can roughly al align uh, point estimates of reliability to your HALT tests in that way. Um, in which case, I would, I'd agree with you. If, if you want to incorporate um, those stress levels into your allocation factor, have at it. That's a very valid approach. So thank you for bringing me back to what your question was about HALT in the first place. Uh, Pascal, what is a common mistake you've seen made when, when reliability allocation is performed? That is so easy to answer, Pascal. The common mistake I see is too much effort is spent into getting the first set of allocated goals perfect. And the organization then forgets that these are guides which need to be constantly updated as the design becomes apparent. Uh, that's easily the most important mistake, I, I, it's the most common mistake I see in reliability allocations. And I think Fred is answering your, Kim, your question, Kim, about where the web, uh, recording of the webinars can be found at Ascendo Reliability as well. Uh, Chris Estomo, is it a common practice allocating a low reliability to have a fuse in the system? How that fuse will be reliable as fuse? So I'll, let me try and understand the question. Um, is it common practice to allocate low reliabilities, and then we, by, uh, by that we mean reliabilities, which are easier reliability goals, which are easier to to achieve um, for those components to have a fuse in the system? I'm not sure I entirely understand the question because fuses uh, don't pre prevent failure; they prevent damage. 
So this is a very electronic or electric focused question. Um, and I think that's a, that's a separate topic. However, you might be, uh, there might be an underlying issue I'm missing. Planning to have a failure in the components uh, is what, there's a few, there's a few responses coming, coming back uh, from, from the crowd. I can see, uh, uh, I can see that you're talking, I think Chris Estama, you're talking about uh, something that will fail more than others and Pascal, correct be the canary in the mine and that that's a that's a, a precursor of something more substantial happening i don't i'm not entirely sure i understand the question fully and perhaps after this chris Estomo, you can if you want you can email me separately or you can continue continue the conversation um but yeah fuses are typically used to uh, prevent damage and sometimes injury uh versus uh as, as opposed to preventing failure um they they will shut the system down more often if necessary they to make sure your system doesn't get damaged or people don't get hurt. So it's more about what technology or what energy source a component or subsystem is using um, to uh, as to whether you should have a fuse or not. And I see we have three more minutes in the allocated one hour window. So if there's any more questions, here we go. Uh, John, we do not do any reliability allocations at the moment. What are some arguments you've seen that finally get the light bulb to turn on for management executives that this is valuable? Um, that's a very difficult question to answer. Sometimes, and I, I'll, I'll cite the conversation I had with Fred yesterday where uh, he introduced the concept con, concept of reliability allocation to a team and, and, uh, and he simply gave each team uh, the, the same uh, goal to, to meet the uh, the product's reliability requirement, and some teams were up in arms because that goal was so high, and other teams were were wondering what what the issue was because those goals for their technology were really easy to achieve, and it just started a conversation. I think uh, if I can paraphrase or, or, or relay Fred's observation correctly, uh, what that meant is when the team design team lead saw this behaviour. Uh, this communication, this trading off where one team said, yeah, it's easy for me to achieve. You can have some of mine. Uh, she saw the communication that this this got this uh, very arbitrary uh, equal apportionment approach um, caused in, in the team. So the communication that, that happened thereafter was very, very valuable. But in terms of, um, in terms of the, the design teams or the management understanding the, the what, uh, uh, not not uh, not jumping on board. I'd, I'd suggest perhaps they've had poor experiences, and perhaps reliability allocation has not been explained to them in the way it should. Uh, a lot of organisations think reliability reliability allocation is done once up front. It's a huge endeavour, and then it's then those goals are used to inform demonstration testing two or three years later, and that's just that's a horrific approach. They need to be treated as goals. Uh, as guides, sorry, which gets uh, routinely updated and perhaps educating your leadership that the the reliability process or cycle I showed you is much more important than the goals might help. Um, and we're back to talking about fuses from Alejandro. But uh, John, hopefully that answered your question. Uh, perhaps a, a better explanation to your leadership team that reliability allocation goals start as a guide because the intent is to, is to inform the cycle, uh, work out which teams are struggling, inform trade-off. And sometimes it can inform opportunities because if teams can say, hey, look, I can actually achieve higher reliability than the goal you allocated to me um, uh, for this cost or what have you, uh, that then gives the design team lead flexibility in a way they know uh, they know very well. They know a certain percentage increase in reliability for a power supply. They know what that means for the rest of the product, the rest of the system, the warranty period, or, or simply the ability to help out a struggling team. <laughs> so John, uh, sorry, I, I see that my description uh, described your process where those uh, allocation is a huge endeavor up front and you use to inform demonstration tests later on. That's that's not ideal. Um, so if if you can, uh, and I'm happy to talk offline as well. If if you can if you can work with your management team to, to hopefully teach them uh, or show them that uh, it's a journey as opposed to a, a, a compass bearing at the start. Hopefully that will help. Um, and it's now rounding around, rounding off to twelve o'clock. If there's any further questions, obviously uh, I think 
I'll, I'll listen to listen to Fred's advice as well. I'll, I'll stay around for a little bit. You know our contact details through Ascendo. Um, thank you for your kind feedback that I can see there as well. Um, if there's any further questions, including ones about failure rates and repairable systems, please feel free to reach out. It was great to talk to talk to you all, and there's some really good probing questions. Uh, I can see that we uh, we have a, a really good bunch of uh, reliability engineers online as well. Thank you.